Well, many of you are aware of the fact that there's a very valuable promo code available at artscroll.com. Every time you go to artscroll.com, make sure to use promo code radio for your major discount and free shipping, including for the brand new Around the Year with Reb Meilach, traveling through the Jewish calendar with the Torah insights and stories of Rav Eli Melech Biederman. It's a brand new one from Yisrael Besser, compiled by Shlomi Wolf. It's an Art Scroll release. It's brand new. Go to promo. Go to uh, artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code radio uh, for your discount and free shipping. You know the rule: always use promo code radio at artscroll.com. With us live via telephone, Yisrael Besser. Again, the book is entitled "Around the Year with Reb Milach." Yisrael Besser, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Hey, good morning, Nachum. It's so nice to be here. I appreciate that very much. So I'm trying to figure out, well, first of all, I have to state the obvious that uh, this um, fascination, I'm not sure it's the right word. You'll tell me if there's a better word. But this fascination with Reb Meilach, which is an international fascination, obviously is a product of today. You know, 100 years ago would be almost impossible, if not impossible, for somebody who's essentially in the same place all the time uh, to make the international impact uh, that Reb Meilach has made. Uh, the reality is that because of video and audio and the speed with which things are shared in this world right now, uh, he has become a very fascinating personality and has drawn a tremendous amount of attention. Now, here's the thing, and you know I think about these things a lot, Yisrael Besser. I asked a 25-year-old who's into, you know, Jewish books and Jewish themes, I said, what is the fascination? What is it that has made Reb Meilich and what he has to say so popular uh, and so much sought after? And they said to me that uh, even though the... Um, Videos that are released are not in English, even though he does not leave Israel. Um, still, there is a way, even with the subtitles and with his message, that for some reason, uh, all these things are able to really penetrate the heart. He has an incredible message, a way of delivering it, even if you don't understand the language that he's delivering it in. And it just and it appeals to people of all backgrounds, all ages, etc. So I ask you, Yisrael Besser, what can you add to that? How could you evaluate for us how Reb Meilach has become such an international sensation and fascination? Right. So, so I very much appreciate what you just said. You know, you know, that's a very astute analysis by whoever it is that you're quoting. Just I would add to it a couple of other things. The one is. Technology. That means it's a WhatsApp-friendly generation. And anybody who could hammer out their message in a minute and a half or two minutes and is able to really deliver something in that amount of time in a way that's you know video-friendly, there's a very good chance that they're going to go to the blog and go viral, but in a good way because people are looking are so desperate for chizak and for uplift and for that little dose of faith to get them through the day. It's a very, very uh, difficult world, and people... People, everybody's dealing with challenges in their own life. It's not, a, it's not a secret. And not only is it not wrong, that's, that's the way the Rebbe wants it to be. So when you have that person who's just give, able to give you the strength, you know, to get through the day and to be able to smile and to deal with it, so that becomes priceless. When it's somebody who's one with his message, that means there's a lot of people who are great speakers. They're, 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 you know, they're very eloquent and they, they have great stories. And I'm not saying that they're not real. A lot of them are real to varying degrees. 
but this man, this man is a, is a legitimate topic. I, I went to meet him before we, we agreed to do this together. It was very scary for him, which you could understand because he doesn't speak the language. How do you give away your message to somebody else and just trust them that they're going to be faithful to what you want when you don't even know what they're going to say, right? And, uh, you know, it, it took him a while to come around, and there were others involved, and I, I went to spend Shabbos with them, and then we, had, we, had, we were supposed to meet Matthew Shabbos. The Shabbos was in Miron. They said, Matthew Shabbos, the, the, the fire bottle's not available. He's still at the team. That means he was parked over there inside, inside by, by the chairman, by the caver, and he, he's not ready to meet. Maybe Sunday. Matthew Shabbos became Sunday. Sunday became Sunday night. Monday, he was still in Miron from Shabbos. He hadn't come home yet. Finally, Monday night, he's back in the neighborhood. I go from the shrine to the neighborhood to meet him. The way we met was, he first had to go to a chasma of a yasim, then he had to go to a shiva house, you know, where they, they had kept the kids. Rahman al a young mother died. They were told him who, he's the only person who, essentially, who has the message that would help them. Back to a chasma, back to the hospital where he goes, he walks through the court of the night trying to find, because Rahman al so many people in the hospital either can't sleep or, or, uh, you know, or a lot of them just need him to come that badly. You know, they, they know he's coming, or the people who are sitting with them know he's coming. He, he's like a one-man operation of, of physical, 24, not, not, it's not, it's not uh, people who he knows or people who are connected to him. And, and part of his success is really that he's not organizational. He has no show, he has no base matters, and he has no license. He has no Eugene, that is. So he really belongs to Kali Israel. And, and uh, Nachum, we talk about this a lot, on air and off air, the, the need for, this is the man who crosses every single demographic. That means he speaks, if you're in Yiddish, and he's gone, I, I've seen him with, with uh, high-tech, irreligious, secular Israeli high-tech people in Tel Aviv, and, and almost it looks like a party, and, and he's sitting with them, all the way to, to Tal Bataran and Neshaarim, talking in his Yiddish. And, and everywhere, Moshe, he go to Moshe, and he go to American uh, Shana Bet program and talk to the boys, and he goes everywhere. If they ask him, he doesn't charge money, he just gives himself away to Kaya, so completely. So his soul is very much one with the message that, you know, he's, and then, of course, he just knows everything. And the Ma'amakaimis, his sources, check out. I mean, right. I, I spent two years now listening to his clips, and he says, Tyson says in Bayad uh, al or Rashba, or Arishan, or even more obscure sources, and he doesn't have a safe in front of him, and I've checked them all up, and I've never caught him. It never was off, not by number. There's <laughs> a lot of years of learning that went into that message. You know, he's had in, in Cairo and Potovich for many years, and that comes through as well. Well... So let me ask you this, because there are a lot of personalities that, again, as you described it, uh, have taken advantage, not in a bad way, I'm just saying that this is the timing, have taken advantage of the WhatsApp generation, uh, have you know developed a system, whether it be a quicker shear, have developed a system, whether it be uh, using a certain type of personality that one might have to deliver a shear or a Say it again? I said some in a bad way. I said some of them in a bad way. I would take it to a better. You know, not everybody out there is constructive and not everybody out there is helpful. Oh, okay. I, that's funny. That's funny. It's funny because I was thinking of really all the positive ways. But in other words, you understand at least when 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 something becomes a big hit internationally, it makes sense. This one, even with the way you described it, with all due respect, it's still hard to fathom that he's reached this level of popularity. 
But then again, ask around, and you're going to meet people of all backgrounds who are simply, you know, again, fascinated with him and his message, etc. And I think the most important thing with you say you you've painted a picture of real sincerity, real, you know, desire to give of himself, real desire to represent Torah, uh, you know, properly. And I think there's a, I, I think you have hit hit on something that we have to add to this conversation. And this is, and this really fits in with the book, frankly, in my opinion. I, I studied the book a lot over. Shabbos, but I really concentrated on the first part of the book, which is, you know, Elul, this time of year, and leading into, you know, all the different uh, uh, Yom Narayim and, of course, Sukkot, etc. I really spent a lot of time on that area of the book. And it seems there's an incredible mix of the of the Torah aspect of the, you know, sources like you described, you know, a moment ago. And at the same time, the Hasidic small C I'm using in this context, the Hasidic aspect of Jewish life. It seems like he has an unbelievable balance and an unbelievable combination of the two, which is very, very attractive these days to a lot of people. Would you agree? And he's not afraid to use um, almost talk-free Magida, a joke, uh, you know, very realistic jokes. Right. Describing the human condition. Right. You know, you, you watch him uh, discuss the, he's discussing one of the videos, the, what, what happens to a rug who goes to a wedding and expects to get a keyboard and the keyboard is not forthcoming. Right. He's going through it and, he, and he's acting a little bit. So he's acting out like, okay, maybe I didn't get the keyboard, but I probably will get the next bracha, right? And the way the guy starts to shift a little bit uncomfortably and start to wonder. And then what happens inside of him when he doesn't get the keyboard that he believed he was meant to get. Right. And, and how that, what's really going on in mind. And everybody can relate to it. It's not beneath him to paint that picture. You know, like I said, like a maggot of old almost. Right. And, and, and you know, one of the, the, uh, the sections of the book, Tishabab, you know, so the whole three weeks, I realized when I was listening, you know, I would take the clips and I would work it over and read the notes and go back to the clips. And very much in this book, maybe you noticed, I try to, as much as possible, keep a feeling of being in the room. So I would take a break from the actual conversation of what he's saying yep. to describe what he's doing. Yep. Because and I, and I have the, be- and I have the best example of that. I have the best example of that. In, in, in the right. in the Elul chapter, you talk about how he wanted to make sure to pronounce air conditioning properly. Do you remember that one? Right, in English. And he yeah. want, and you describe how he's like, you know, sort of, you know, rolling his eyes and hoping that he gets the term out properly. And by the way, that that's another reason why he he and others who speak a you know specific language, you know, might fear, you know, having someone translate their material because in addition to the actual Torah material that you're translating, you're also conveying these types of actions, these types of reactions, and you know, someone might worry about the way those are described. Right. Uh, legitimately, like I understand that I'm very grateful to him and to, to his people for the vote of confidence because uh, in, in art school and in myself, not just me, yeah. you know, art school meant a lot to him as well. So, uh, so he, he's able to do that. Like I'm saying, he's able to, to talk in a very realistic and real way. He doesn't talk like he's on a podium and preaching to you, you know, from, from the top, but rather he's just, you know, disgusting and laughing at the human experience, you know, the things as if to say that we all go through. Hundred percent. You know, when he quotes Kabbalah's father, he says things like, "What do we know about these kinds of ideas?" Or, you know, we don't know much about this, but we believe what our Rebbeim taught us. And you know that, of course, he knows it, and he's intimately familiar with it. But he, he just he has, and he has no agenda, which is really so so important. There's no 
end game other than getting to do either a little a little more amuna, a little more simcha, a little more happiness in life, a little more appreciation for the people around him, a little more appreciation for the gifts God gave him. There, there's no other agenda. So he's yeah. just doing it, and then he pulls back. There's no uh, click here to donate, click here to buy, none of that. <laughs> and, I, and I will add, by the way, not to speak ill of the Jewish people, God forbid, but I have to add that as difficult as that is for some of our listeners, uh, who, as difficult as it is, and a lot of our listeners understand that, that it's hard to appeal to everybody when you're in a position like he's in. In Israel, it's even harder. It's a, you're, you're, the, the level of scrutiny is greater uh, when one goes ahead and reaches out to a certain group of people or those who have a certain label mm-hmm. on them. You know, the, the, there's a, mm-hmm. a, and by the way, it's not, it really isn't a criticism. I'm not speaking ill of the Jewish people. It's a reality. There's a greater level of mm-hmm. scrutiny. So for him to be able to behave in that manner, you know, in Israel mm-hmm. is 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 it is a tough challenge, as you pointed out, and yet he's able to pull it off. It, it doesn't make any sense, Malcolm. What you're saying is it, it doesn't make sense. He doesn't just dance between the raindrops. It's as if he doesn't exist. I think that's maybe the only answer. Right. He just he, he goes places where every single one of them itself would render him that he shouldn't be able to go anywhere. He, and, he made a chasna last week, and it, it was huge. A lot of people went from America. A lot of, by the way, and and I'm not saying this like even the modern Orthodox. I don't mean even right. the modern Orthodox more than more than even the Hasidim. Yeah. But the the gamut, the breadth of people who reach out to me privately, my sustains them. Meeting modern Orthodox rabbis and people, and 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 people like I said from different sections of the Hasidim. One of the greatest times that come in like, or the big rabbi like would stop me and said, "Oh, my luck." Uh, if not for that man, I don't know where I would be. I mean, this world, I promise you, he knows Tyra that Amalek doesn't know, or sources that. But there's something about where Amalek gives it then. He's reaching nearly every demographic and clients all of this. So I was saying, he made a wedding, he made a wedding last week, and, and he, he's dancing on the table and throwing up his triangle. And I'm watching this. There's a bunch of rabbis sitting over there. These are not dancing on table people. These are not throwing slime people. You know, maybe, maybe on Purim, maybe on Purim, slime will come off. These are people who are a little bit, they're not so late, and they're just swept up in it. He just does it. It's natural, and he gets away with it, and they're, they're just smiling when he does it. I, I, he's able to transcend all those rules. You've had the, uh, you've had the opportunity to, you know, to do projects about people who, you know, are a little bit off the beaten path, if you know what I mean. You've had some amazing personalities in your in your in your in your. No, I'm just. Thinking. I them for that. It's always nice because like because you always when you're writing or when you're telling a story or when you when you're doing when you're on the radio, you always want to have the joy of, of uh, you know when there's a little bit of mystique and to try to pull back a curtain. Right. Because if people know the story already, then what's left for you to do? It's not very exciting. Yeah, hundred percent. No, I get that. Um, but in this case, I think there are a lot of people who think they know, and they just don't know as much as you now know because of the access you had and the research that you did. And we should note, by the way, I mean, you're made available to me this morning because of our friends at Art Scroll. Not that you would have, <laughs> I don't think you would have denied an invitation from us in general, which I appreciate. Uh, but obviously, the timing okay. of the book, the timing of the book, uh, we, we, and we should mention that that the, the Haggadah, Ramayelch Biederman's Haggadah, is among the best sellers. Uh, maybe the best-selling Haggadah out there, and you know, and 
again, this is it just reiterates and proves what we've been talking about. In order to be a bestseller, you know this, you have to appeal to a you know to a cross section. You got to be out there, you know, appealing to a lot of different people, and that's uh, you know the proofs in the pudding. I'm assuming this book is going to be on the same track. You know, people. Well, first of all, it has the benefit of having the 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 sequential, you know, year-round aspect, which I always think sells more books than not. I think it's one of the reasons why Parcio's books do so well, because people like the Seder, people like the order, you know, knowing that they can revisit it on a regular basis. And I think that this book, you know, has the same thing, because you're basically going from Chodesh Elul, you know, through Tisha B'Av in the three weeks. Um, so obviously people could use it all year round. Anyway, that's my analysis of the market out there. Now let's get to some parts of this book um, that I found fascinating. Obviously, it's Chodesh Elul, and uh, traditionally <laughs> we concentrate on the area uh, that we're in. Unlike you, who has to write about Elul, you know, when it's Purim time or whatever you get around to it, <laughs> we we actually go ahead and concentrate on the on the period of time that we're in right now. So I I, I didn't even know this until I saw it in my in my new uh, companion, the Dover Beito Luach. I don't know if you're familiar with the Dover Beito Luach that comes out of Israel, uh, mm-hmm. 1,800 pages every single year. And I, I and and you know, I, I, honestly, my my absolute favorite. And there I saw um, when it ca- came to benching Rosh Chodesh Elul that we're really, and I'm saying this obviously not literally, everybody, you'll get what I'm saying. Uh, we're we're benching Rosh Chodesh Elul and Rosh Chodesh Tishrei at the same time because we don't bench Rosh Chodesh Tishrei. We don't give the sudden any advanced warning that Rosh Hashanah is literally right around the corner. And there are people who will use a Rosh Hashanah Nusach while you while benching Rosh Chodesh Elul. And I, until I saw the Dover Beito, I didn't realize this was a thing. And then you write about it here on, um, on page 24, where you say, uh, every time we bench Rosh Chodesh, it's special, but this month it's extra special. Base Aaron of Karlin explains that since we don't bench Rosh Chodesh Tishrei, the brachas for Elul and Tishrei are all dependent on this tefillah, and the fate of the year ahead depends on Tishrei. This Rosh Chodesh benching carries the seeds of the next 13 months. And the reason I point this paragraph out, Yisrael Besser, is because this line, the fate of the year ahead depends on Tishrei, is a real theme of your Elul Tishrei section. Uh, I would actually say that, you know, based on what you've written here, Rabmilech would say the fate of the year ahead depends on Elul and Tishrei. What is it about this time of year that, you know, that w- we've always discussed? It gives us an added opportunity to approach the one above in a unique fashion. But what is it about this time of year that makes it, that a reality? What would you say? I, I want to just uh, take take a step back uh, before we get to that. Is that if this is part of his ability? Uh, you know, if you go through the conventional yeshiva system, maybe any system, but certainly the yeshiva system, there's almost a trauma that you can get from El. If right. you're not, uh, right. you know, if you're not like one of the strongest people, because right. you you hear a lot about okay, this is it, guys. This is when it counts. We're coming down to the water, right? So there's a tension every time. If you're in camp, it happens. You know, on Kalawar, maybe by the Grand Sea. And if you're in politics, it happens on election night. Okay. And if you're a sports fan, and it's happening in Game 7 of the World Series. But there's always that moment, everything comes down to this. I mean, the whole baseball season was for the playoffs. And the whole playoffs is for the series. And the whole series for Game 7, right? And all that is true. But the, so it's certainly like that. But the, when the message is given to you in a way, it can make you very tense and very stressed. Because what am I supposed to do? Should I not eat lunch? Should I not sleep? You don't even know what to do with that information. You know it's important, but we're just people, right? The Bernard Shalom created us as human beings, not as robots. So what am I supposed to do differently? 
I'm, I'm not saying that Malik was the first, but he definitely found a way to, to convey the urgency of the season in a way that just empowers you. It doesn't break you. It doesn't make you feel small. It doesn't make you feel insignificant. And it doesn't make you feel incapable, but just the opposite. Because what he's telling you is, because the season is so important, add an extra little good morning to the person who you're not in the mood of right now, or finding a way, whatever that thing is. And, you know, and his things are so realistic. The things he's demanding or asking for are so doable. He, he makes the whole season so much more exciting because, yeah, it's game seven, but there's something I could do about it. Right. You know, not just sit at home and, and, and sweat. Right. So he actually, he, I mean, on the same page, you have the, the, the quote that he quotes about uh, when they would say Rosh Chodesh Elul and, and, um, and uh, you know, during Rosh Chodesh benching, women would faint behind the machitza because mm-hmm. of the fear that Elul brought. And uh, I think that, and, and again, we're very familiar with the fear and there are a million stories about, you know, even current, uh, you know, Rosh Yeshiva, uh, you know, demanding the trepidation that one would expect from Elul. But there's a balance of love and fear. There's a balance of love for the one above and his love for us and the fear that you mentioned that he, meaning Ramilech, brings out and as you just said, gives us an opportunity to actually do something, not to be paralyzed by this month of Elul, but to actually act in the month of Elul uh, to our advantage. And it's funny you say Game 7 of the World Series, that's always at the end of the season. We have this unique opportunity to, you know, our spring training, our exhibition season would be Elul and this ends up being you know, the most important part of the year. Uh, I mean, you write here on, on more than one occasion that, you know, the entire year is based on how one behaves during Elul and Tishrei. Uh, you have an amazing... Uh, Rashi. Milanu, who do we have greater than Rashi as the authority of authority, right? And he brings it to Rashi. A couple of years ago, he said it in a clip. In very short, if there's a disagreement between, you know, somebody owns a field and he lets somebody else use that field, like a sharecropper, like used to be common, you know, in the, in the firm economy. You know, at a different time, people own land and they let other people work that land in exchange for a share of the profit right. and a share of the crops. And it's meant to be, you know, he's meant to plant wheat. And the person who rents it or is using it plants barley. So the Gemara has a machaikas and, and then a flood comes. Normally, the renter is absolved because if a flood came, it's a natural disaster. It's not my problem. I don't have to pay you. But um, the owner could tell him, the Gemara says, I rented it to you. I gave it to you. That what the plan was with the intention of you planting wheat and you planted barley. So you didn't really follow the rules. Right. So now it's your problem with the flood. Right. Now, what, 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 what does that mean? The flood is a flood. Who cares? The Rashi says over there, because on Rosh Hashanah, when I got into success, when I prayed, I asked to success with my wheat crop. And you planted barley. You weren't included in my field on Rosh Hashanah. And that's why the flood came. When Ramayla said this about three, four years ago, this, it's just a Rashi. He's adding nothing. Everybody was supporting Ramayla's Rashi because it was a Rashi that many people had missed, I guess, Rashi and Rosh Hashanah. Well, Rashi says, again, just to reiterate what we're saying over here, Rashi says, I would have davened differently on Rosh Hashanah, and there would not have been a flood. Amazing. Ramayla has this ability. Think, think about it. It's Rashi. It's yeah. in every single Gemara. Yeah. Uh, you know, ostensibly, we do know. Ramayla Shai, he took the Rashi, he highlighted the Rashi, he taught those words on Rosh Hashanah, that the balance of the entire year, down to the fact that that field would not have had a flood, and, and he sort of popularized Rashi, it's in the book, obviously. Right, and and that again, he's not saying his own things. He's, he's showing us the sources that we live by, but he's able to highlight something in a way. And of course, he makes it so empowering. So you now, know, not just yeah. oh boy. Mm-hmm. 
No, I was going to say, so now I got to add a couple of things to this because now the things I wanted to bring up will, will sound even more meaningful. The, the way you just described mm-hmm. how he took a quote-unquote plain Rashi and created a really mus- a big musher schmooze out of it for this time of year. He talks about creating an account, right? When one, is, when one is able to fund an account of theirs, that's where they have their money and they're able to write checks against that account. He says, as one recites mm-hmm. Tillman, again, by the way, credit Dover Beito in my case, I didn't realize how many men hug him there are during Elul and Tishrei about saying Tehillim on Shabbos during Elul and Tishrei about saying Tehillim you know splitting it into 40 pieces as you approach you know from Rosh Chodesh Elul to Yom Kippur I didn't realize how many Minahagim there are about this but he talks about creating an account by incorporating Tehillim a uh, shout out to all those who spend their day uh, you know saying safer Tehillim there are a lot of people out there who do that um, and talks about doing it Shabbos and Elul etc um, and, th- and that is the account that one can draw from during the year. That's one example he gives. Also, of course, those who work, you know, we know, as you just described, you know, there are farmers and people who work in agriculture who know that there's a month or two out of the year that if you work really, really hard, you will reap the benefits down the road during the time when, you know, you can't work the land, uh, but the uh, but the uh, different crops are going to be growing. Same thing. If you work in El and Tishrei, you know, on, on our Midos and on our, and on our, um, um, uh, on ourselves, you know, then the rest of the year will benefit from it. But the one I love the best, the one I absolutely love the best, and this is why it's so funny. I don't even know if people will get the, you know, will understand why this is so humorous to me. He talks about the person who's in economy class on a plane, right? And is really, really upset mm-hmm. with the economy class conditions. And by the way, you may as well put my name in that example, right? Really upset with, with the... I can imagine yeah. that it's not built to you. Exactly. Yeah. Not, not built for me at all. And approaches somebody, that person approaches someone, I'd like to upgrade now to business class. They say, no, 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 no. You can't do that now. Any arrangement you make for a flight, and the reason this is funny is it seems and you write this. I'm assuming it's it's not tongue in cheek. He's never been on a plane. Am I right? He's never been on a plane. He's never left Israel. He's never been on a plane. And he's giving this example, again, why it makes it even more humorous, that someone standing in economy class begging to be upgraded and told the only way you could have a business class ticket is if you make arrangements beforehand. Same thing here. The only way one can benefit down the road uh, from from their good deeds and all the, all the wonderful things that they're you know hopefully doing between them and God and them and people you know, during the month during the during the entire years if they work on these things during Elul and Tishrei and I thought that was just a simple but yet brilliant example of that. Part of physicality, I have to tell you something humorous or cute vis-a-vis his not being on a plane. Uh, his mother, I believe it was, passed away on a Matzah Shabbos, and he had to be in Miran for maybe with like Weimar, or it was one of the one of the other times. So he agreed to go on a helicopter. He had to be in Medevrak for a funeral, and he had to be in, in, in Miran at the same time. Right. So he went to the funeral, and they took him on a helicopter to down to Miran. And it was his first time on a helicopter as well. So in the middle, he leads over to the driver and says, like, wistfully, he says, while we're up here, can we just make a quick stop in Lijensk? That was a joke. He knew, of course, that it wasn't realistic, but he was expressing, like, he's never been an advice at all, but he would love to go to Lizanne, Sanchal, Falafada, and people who go, go into him, and he says to each one of them, please be Meshleach, have me in mind, here's my children's names, but he never, he, he doesn't advise at all. But it was just, it was a joke in which he expressed that, he was like, come on, just a quick stop and leave that. Now, something else, just very interesting about this, 
many, many people, including the CMSAF, including others, have tried to get him to come. Recently, there was a big gathering, a big uh, gathering in America, like a Torah gathering, and they thought that Amayla could add a lot. So they called Amayla and they asked him if he would come. So he said he doesn't, doesn't leave the Eretz Yisrael. So they said to him, one of Amayla's fundamental, one of his biggest themes is that uh, Judaism is not a religion of streaks. It's not, I never, or I do. If somebody needs something from you, one of his favorite stories, and very brief, is about Nachum Shabbat, who was a big tie to the Jerusalem, who would fast from Shabbos to Shabbos. He, he lived pretty much in fasting, and he only ate on Shabbos. I believe he ate at night as well, you know, during the weekend, right. because he went to all of that eating. Right. He definitely didn't eat during the... During there the, there the are Rebbes who do that today, if I'm not mistaken. Who, who, don't, who don't, who really? Yeah, during the, who eat all who won't day. eat during the day, but will eat at night, and, uh, and, and, well, and will, will essentially fast during the day from Havdalah to candlelighting, yeah. Wow, that's, that's interesting. Wow. Hard to imagine that one. So he, so Nachum Shadika's daughter, it was uh, like on a Friday, he said to her, can I see the cake and a coffee? He asked her. So she looked at him surprised. It was, it was the middle of the day. So he, and he asked her a second time. So she said, Tata, it's only 15 minutes to skia. Like, you're going to give up your fast now? Right. So he says, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm learning the tesis, and I feel like my, ta- my comprehension is weak. And the whole fasting is only in as much as it doesn't prevent me from doing what I really have to do. So if I'm not understanding the prices, then this fast is worthless to me. So the person told the Milech, I'm very glad you never leave Eric Yisrael. But who says that just because of that, maybe you have a responsibility to leave? Like, very nice you have this streak. The Milech very much appreciated the point. He didn't come, but he appreciated the argument. That means that sometimes you have to drop everything. He, he has many stories in the book. Yeah. And in the Haggadah, we had similar stories about yeah. Rebbe who gave up their Dawah Minim or their Matas. No, I hear that, but I wouldn't want to be the person who convinces him to leave Israel. I wouldn't want to be that person. Yeah. I wouldn't want to have to answer for that after 120. And, and you stroll best, or you do, I have to comment like that on that. <laughs> I'm not encouraging anybody. I actually have a relative that's never left Eretz Yisrael. I would not, uh, I, I, yeah. I, I would, yeah, I never has never got a passport. And I would never want to be the one to encourage someone like that to actually leave. Uh, JM in the AM with Yisrael Besser. Don't forget, artscroll.com. The book is called Around the Year with Reb Milech. Use promo code radio for your major discount. And free shipping. All right, uh, let me get to a couple of things since we're way over time already. Uh, and I thank you for the extra time you're giving us. But there are a couple of things that I um, saw in the book. By the way, page 50, I don't know if you have the book in front of you. Page 56 is the perfect example of what I was talking about before. You know, the the the, the Yura and the Ava or the joy uh, that accompanies um you know that accompanies this time of year. You know, you know the story you tell here, or he tells here about the uh, uh, the lights going out on Friday night, and you know, and then and then if, and then the Rebbitson comes in carrying a tray of fish. The room was dark. She slips and falls. He jumps up to help her. His white kaftan. He's a Sephardic uh, chacham. His white kaftan becomes soiled by the spreading liquid. He's overjoyed at this calamity. Repeating again and again, this is all a good sign. In other words, what's my point? As you read this story, and it's you know a comedy of errors, so to speak. That's how it plays out. Um, nonetheless, 
he cannot possibly uh, uh, um, uh, he cannot possibly conclude anything other than this is you know every one of these things is a good thing and it's joyous and it's good simanim. He says because Leil Rosh Hashanah is about simanim and this tzaddik had seen a simon a sign regarding who's in charge, meaning the one above, and that recognition alone brought more blessing. You know, if this happened in a typical person's home where the lights went out on Leil Rosh Hashanah and people were dropping things and, you know, and were very frustrated with the situation, I don't think they'd react this way. Yisrael Besser, you agree? I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> but I think that now he gives you, maybe it's not realistic for everybody, but on a certain level, today, let's say somebody comes out, this is fairly common, and you see that you have a parking ticket. Right, right, right. And very often, people, people like you and I, say, "Thank you, Hashem. I'm sure this is good for me." You know, right? That means we we understand that we perceive that it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't good for us. Come on, we were only late by two minutes. We forgot about it, right? But we understand that these kinds of things are either sparing us from something much worse, which is Chazal, sources of the Chazal, that when a person faces the Yisurim, that's the attitude he has to have. That the Rebbe is sparing him from something much worse, and the Rebbe found a way. They give it to him in a way which is, so to speak, palatable, right? You'd rather spend that money on a parking ticket than on a medical bill or something like that, right? Right. And, and people do do that. So Ramal just takes it, I guess, to, to the expectation, especially on Rosh Hashanah, because you're, you're, you're focused. You know, those 48 hours, you're supposed to be focused on, on he's the king. That means everything that happens is who He's doing everything. There's no power but he. If you believe that, and this is what our fathers told us and their fathers told them, then you really... To, that's the way you have to look at it. So you think at least in Rosh Hashanah, if you can live that way, it'll only bring you blessings. Right. I got so much work to do. I have so much work to do. By the way, uh, I, I also, you know, I, I didn't want to just spend the, our, our time on this time of year. I also um, went into ER to see what's written there. Uh -huh. And you have this incredible story with Shiloh. Now, what happens is, um, he, he gave a certain amount that stuck to those who came into his home, uh, each year. And instead of giving 200, he gave, th things were very tight. The Rebbe explained that his own base medrash had sustained a fire. He was raising funds for its restoration. Some money was tight. So the visitor, instead of getting 200, he got 100. The visitor says to him, you're building a base medrash on my cheshbon? The people were obviously listening and were very upset at the visitor, but Rashila sat there calmly considering the question and said, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. He leaves and he comes back and he gives him the other hundred. So he leaves with 200. That requires a tremendous amount of discipline, a tremendous amount of sympathy and empathy for the person who's coming to collect his stucca. What do you, uh, how do you assess this story? It's, it um, again, it's very much on brand for, for obviously for Shaila as well, you know, a topic right. who understands. But but also, I think the greatness in the story is not the generosity in money, it's the generosity of the spirit that understanding it to the other person. What he's saying makes a lot of sense. You're laughing, like, I'm the one giving you the money. Right. You're not the one who sets the terms. I set the terms. I work for this money. And they're all and sitting saying, there, and they're all like, sitting there making fun of him. Yeah, and, and he's saying, what do I care that you had a bad year? Like, you know, go for, you're my supplier, so to speak. What, I don't want to hear the stories. I want the money. And if child was able to go, um, you know, before there was formal psychology and psychological training, you read about these studies and their ability to understand the mind of another person and to really see exactly what a psychologist would tell you, right? He, he's not seeing, he's not seeing, he doesn't think he's wrong. He right. thinks, and if child was there already, and that's right. really where Milo's call. Right. Whatever the answer it is, 
And one of the nice things about this book is that it's not just formal, you have a title. That means everybody can write an Ashanti Pesukah, but then it's quiet. Equal to Rachali Menu's Yaratite is right. a Yantif for him. And it's right. a Yantif, it's a Yantif of the Mida of Akshanis, of being able right. to, to concede and to submit to other people and to make yourself less than the person next to you a little more. Like Rachali Menu, you know, that was a. And there, and there, and there are other yard sites commemorated as well. There are other. Uh... The yard site yeah, is very hard because he really, this was a hard call actually because which yard site, yeah, which yard site, he talked about a lot of, a lot of yard sites. So we only did a, a Miles' grandparents. That means his own ancestors and grandfathers, great grandfather, the rabbits in the Lala of the dynasty, which is his. And and uh, the same thing with Absalom Kizrela, which is his wife's grandfather. And the exception was Absalom because Absalom, so to speak, is, is, is a Kaiyasrael. Is a quiet, well noted yard site, the Bas Ayin, which is a marvelous own. His personal uh, spiritual message was very much needed in that day for Bas Ayin. And so, Rebbe, who he almost uncovered, that means it's a Rebbe from hundreds of years ago, buried in Syria, but a Marlach is very busy with the Sefer. And the Sefer, from beginning to end, is just really about humility. Almost every verse talks about humility, about giving yourself away to others, uh, about submission. And the Basayan Zeratite and, and, and the Rebbe Melo Zeratite and Menachulimim Zeratite. Right. You know, because otherwise, you know, there's a Zeratite every week. <laughs> By the way, do you think that's a good strategy for directors of development uh, when they're going in to collect money from a Gvir? Should they say, uh, I don't care if you've had a bad year, we need this money? Is that a good, is that a good strategy, you think, or not? I, I, think, I think it would <laughs> depend on the, on the Gvir and on the director of development. <laughs> So you're you're not giving a blanket approval for that strategy, <laughs> right? Right. Probably a little bit of seichel is in order. I mean, you should probably figure it out. Finally, Yisrael Besser. Finally, what what's the message? I said to myself, you know, it's Elul. Rosh Hashanah is two weeks from Friday night. We got to leave everybody with a very important message, based on the book that you wrote uh, around the year with Reb Milach. And I think the one I want to point out, and uh, I hope you remember this story, because I don't know how many, how many months ago you wrote it, is the one where, um, where the children uh, are displaced and uh, they're concerned about their parents. I don't have it in front of me, this, this specific story. And uh, the king, the king is there, the king of the area of the country is there. And, uh, and they're helpless. These children are helpless, not having parents, etc. And one of the children decides to approach the king and say, I'm concerned, I don't know where my parents are, etc. And the king, of course, you know, asks his subjects to look into the situation. And eventually the child is reunited with the parents. And the, the lesson, of course, from this is that uh, uh, you got to make the effort. You have, to, you, know, you have your opportunity with the king. And now the king is here, folks. It's Elul. The king is with us. He's always with us, but you get my point. It's Elul. Uh, and you got to use the opportunity to ask for what you need and ask for what you're concerned about. Uh, I hope I, I painted the story properly. Do, do you agree with me that that's a, a really good way to go into uh, Rosh Hashanah and the brand new year? Right. So, I, again, I don't have the book in front of me as well either, but I believe the story was it was with Diane White, so with, uh, the late guy of Yushalayim. Uh, your wife was a child, and he got out on the kinder transport. He got over to England from where he came, from Czechoslovakia. And uh, through the efforts of uh, Sir Nicholas Lincoln, actually, Lincoln, actually, he got over to, with, there were a thousand children who got out on the kinder transport, and they brought them to the park, wanting so that the, that the king should at least be able to see what, through his benevolence, he had done. He had an act, you know, the British government was very benevolent and openly compassionate. 
and letting these children in without parents. And they, they had the kids line up, and the, the king sort of rode, rode through the park, and the kids were just a nod. This was the king. This was the man. This was the embodiment of power to them, because he was the man who got them out. And none of them had parents. And, and the wife would say over, he only passed away two years ago, the wife would say over that the kids just looked there and ah, but nobody knew what to say, other than they, they waved, maybe. He said, and one boy just seized the moment, and he screamed to the king, king, please can you get my parents out as well? This is their address, and this is their name. This, this is a true story. Our voice would say it over. And, and the king stopped and he looked at the child and he said, again, and the kid said the name of his parents and he said the name, you know, their address where they lived. He said, please bring them out. And, and, and that's what happened two weeks later. The, the king had made that effort. So our voice would analyze it. He said, we all knew the king was there. We, we stood there in awe. We were prepared for it. We were dressed properly. No one spoke. But this king really knew that the king was there. That means he, he actualized that awareness into something more because if the king is there, and I know he's compassionate because he took me out. And I know he's powerful because he took me out. Then how could I sit quietly at this time? It's not politically correct. Other people will say it's awkward. Okay, but I want my parents to live. So it's all on the line now. So Rav Meilich would say over from our wife, which is that if you really believe it, and, and, and if you read this book, I think it's very hard, at least for me, to walk around 24 hours a day, seven days a week with that awareness. But you should get to a point over the, the season between Owl and Rosh Hashanah well, you really feel that awareness that how, how are you not putting it all, all on the line? Ask if you believe it, then you know that you have to ask because there's no other way. The king is here, you stroll, Besser. He's always here, but you know what I mean. It's that time of year. Wishing you a Ksiva happy, healthy, and sweet new year. And uh, congratulations, on the br- congratulations on the brand new book. Uh, a lot of people, including people in our app, are talking about. Uh, how their relationship with Reb Milach, whether it's through video, one person mentioned they got a bracha from him, has been life-changing. And I think this book, as you've heard my enthusiasm for it, I think it could be a life-changer as well. I, I so appreciate that. And the very to get both of us and all the quiet, so good to bench, you know? We should also collaborate and speak for nice things. Yeah, amen nice to that. Together. Thank you so much, and uh, congratulations. Yisrael Besser! Around the year with Reb Meilach, traveling through the Jewish calendar with the Torah insights and stories of Rav Elimelech Biederman, Yisrael Besser, compiled by, compiled by Shlaimi Wolf, and um, information, you can go to artscroll.com. Again, remember, when you go to artscroll.com and order the brand new book or anything from Artscroll, make sure to use promo code RADIO, major discount, free shipping. Always use promo code RADIO when you go to artscroll.com. This is a game changer, folks, and for many people, it'll be a life changer. Pick up the book, study it, especially these chapters on Elul and Tishrei. Um, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure. once the calendar changes, I'll get into the other months as well. Uh, but these are really inspiring thoughts and uh, some incredible writing uh, based on incredible presentations of Rav Biederman. More coming up. You're listening to a Tuesday morning edition of JM in the AM.